Today begins part nine of our journey through the book of Amos. Part nine. I had no idea when we started how many parts there would be. I keep having a conversation with someone today, and I said, I, I honestly, I don't know how sometimes pastors do it. They say, we're going to do a six-week study here, because I'm just reading, and I'm studying, and I'm finding all this, this more information. I'm like, oh my goodness, I, we're just going to have to take this and push this back another week. So so that's anywhere is where we're at right now. That's where we're part nine and starting in chapter seven. And I'll set this up for us, especially if, if you haven't necessarily been following along. And, and of course, all these messages are online. And for those of you who are listening online, um, we uh, we miss you. I know a lot of you guys are, are away for the summer and we look forward to having you come back. But to set this up, Israel is in the midst of a golden age. For the last 40 years, and oh, by the way, it's about 760 B.C. right now. But for the last 40 years, they've experienced this time of peace and prosperity. Things are going relatively well for most of the nation, which is good. But as I say almost every week, I think one of the, the temptations that comes is we tend to, in those moments of need... Those moments of despair, those difficult moments, man, we need God a lot. But once things start going well, the temptation is not to need Him as much. To become and grow complacent in our faith. And, well, that's nothing new. And that's something very much that these people are dealing with. They're, they're oppressing many of their own citizens, mistreating them. They're, they've gotten into lots of pride as we looked at last week. And so God calls this man Amos, not a, not a chaplain, not a pastor, just a small business owner, a breeder of sheep from the ancient city of Tekoa, just outside of Jerusalem. He calls Amos to bring a series of messages sometime around 760 BC. And I've, I've argued this throughout. I, I, unlike a lot of other letters, which I think were delivered and then read, I, I think what we have in Amos are a series of, of little mini-sermons that were probably delivered over the course of several days, weeks, or even months. I don't think it was a, a one-day thing that happens in this story. But the people have been just awful. They've been mistreating their own citizens, the wealthier class, taking advantage of the poor class. And as we saw last week, they have just gotten into such terrible pride. Amos writes in, in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, that they feel secure. They feel at ease. They shouldn't feel secure. They shouldn't feel at ease, but they do. They actually consider themselves the, the first of the nations. Right? We're, we're the best. We're awesome. We're America. I, I mean, we're Israel. Right? We've got the, the greatest army, the greatest navy, the greatest air force. On and on and on. Untouchable. So they feel secure. They feel at ease. Why should they not? Sitting up there in their mountain fortresses in Samaria. That's verse 1 and 2. And so Amos calls them, you guys really need to self-evaluate yourselves. Are you better than these other nations? Are you? And I said last week, and I think it's important to remember, I think there's that, that, that line, that divide between confidence and, and pride. 
I think pride says, we're the best, we're awesome, I'm awesome. Contextually, it's were, but individually, this could be very much applied to I'm awesome. And instead, I think that the application is, is that the line is, as I said last week, is if it were not for God's grace, we would be here. If it were not for God's grace, we would not have the things that we enjoy today, especially in that country, this country. We wouldn't. All it would take is one catastrophic event, and there is no army, there is no air force, there is no more America. And and so all throughout chapter 6, Amos calls the nation to really examine themselves, to think through this, to consider their ways. Are you better than all these other people? And and pride is such a sneaky thing because oftentimes you don't even realize that, that you've been captured by pride because sin is, is so sneaky sometimes it comes up and you don't even realize there's a problem and there is a problem. And so he says, self-evaluate yourselves. Self-evaluate. Are you better? And so that is where we pick up today. That's the, really the the transitional point today to where we begin in chapter 7, verse 1. Amos has just indicted them on all these different accounts. In chapter 7, God is going to show Amos visions of things that have not yet taken place. They're going to take place. They haven't yet. He's going to show Amos these events. And the first picture is this in chapter 7, verse 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, He was forming locusts when the latter growth, that is the second growth, was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth, that is the second growth, after the king's mowings. So here's the picture that Amos sees. I want you to see it. Don't miss this. He sees locusts. God has formed. God has sent the locusts out. And the crops are, are just beginning to grow. They're, they're just starting to grow. They've already harvested the crops. The king has already gotten his first share. And now everyone else, they're, they're just waiting. And they're just starting to, to come and to grow. And he sees the locust sent out. And he sees wreckage. He sees tragedy. He sees devastation. See it. Imagine like if there were no Walmarts or, or croakers for you to go and seek food, right? We just take it for granted. I think many of us probably have never gone, like we probably never missed a meal because like we didn't have food. Maybe we just missed it because we're busy, like that's happened to me, but at least for myself, I've never missed a meal because I didn't have food. So really imagine here, you open your, your, your refrigerator door, there's no food. There's, there's nothing in the cabinets. There's nothing in the pantry. You can't just get in your car and go down the street to the store. Like, there's nothing. Amos sees this picture unfolding, and he sees the tragedy behind it, and he knows that many people will die. Many will die. And so... He does what Amos only can do at this point. 
Verse 2. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, that is the locust, I said, Oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob, how can Israel stand? He's so small, God. God, don't do this. Lord, please, please forgive us. God, don't do this. How is Jacob, how is Israel going to stand? We will die if you do this. We'll die. And he says, the basis of his prayer is this. The basis of his plea is, Jacob is so small. That is, Israel is so small. And yet, numerically, Israel is not small. During the time of Jeroboam II, who was king, numerically, they're, they're not all that small. This isn't like the time where they've, you know, started to not fund the, the military or anything, and the military's way below strength. This isn't one of those times in the history of Israel. Numerically, they're not small really by any account, which is, makes sense considering why in chapter 6 they were saying, we are the, the first of the nations, we're Israel. Best the best. But Amos' plea is that they're so small. It's not small numerically that he's referring to. It's small in the sense that before God, oh Lord, who could stand? Before him, could, could we, any of us stand? He, he sees them just helpless before God and, and what's coming. And he knows that they're not going to make it. If God doesn't relent, Mass tragedy and devastation will occur. So he prays. That's all he can do. Verse 3. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. shall not be. And before, unless we miss, I think, an observation point, because throughout this, this series, I think a lot of the application is, is they're the people, they're doing really bad. Don't be like them. Okay? And, and there's wisdom in that. There's truth in that. But I think here what we see is the effectiveness of prayer. We see one person making a very big difference. One person making a very big difference through prayer. And Amos is not making a big difference because, well, he's Amos. Amos is not making a big difference because of who he is. Amos is able to make a big difference because of who his God is. Because God is kind and God is approachable. Because God is merciful. Because God is great. And God is slow to anger. But one person here makes a huge difference to his nation. Not because he's awesome. Because he's willing to go to the creator of the universe on behalf of others and plead. And because his God is so great and so approachable and so merciful, and yet 
begs the question, are you like him? Are you like Amos? I think some of us who are being honest, not so much, at least not as it relates to interceding on the part of others. Maybe you find yourself and people say, yeah, pray for me. You're like, yeah, I will. And then it never happens. Or sometimes I think, and it is a very American thing, it just is. It's not a bad thing, I think, as, as, I'll, inter- as I'll, I'll use this as an example. But I think oftentimes we think, well, you know, someone's dumping on us their, their problems and our, our immediate thinking especially for those of us who guys who are guys, but I think just in general, we're thinking, how do we fix this? How do we fix this, right? So we're listening to the problems, the challenges. We're thinking, all right, okay, okay, okay. All right, what do they need? All right, so I can get my tool set out. I can call up like, you know, I'll call up Owen or Mike. They've got trucks and we'll just, you know, we'll just tag team this. And we'll just muscle through it and, and you know, execute this. And um, oftentimes, and, and like I said, those, that's not a bad way to think, but I think sometimes there's a problem because our first response is not, Let's just pray. Right now. Let's pray. Locusts are coming. We're all about to die, so uh, let's just pray right now. Amos does. And I think, to a certain degree, sometimes, because we don't necessarily see the, the maybe the immediate effects or the results that we hope for, or, or we've been told one thing about prayer... And so sometimes I think in those moments we think, oh, let's just fix it and let's do it right now. And as if us just muscling and powering through this will just accomplish this the quickest and fastest and best way. And, and that's just not always the case. And, and so sometimes, and, and this shouldn't be any, anything new, what I'm about to say now for some of you, sometimes prayer just seems kind of like a distraction from productivity, right? doesn't necessarily seem like the most productive thing I can do, especially, I don't know, when um, we're all about to die. It is the most productive thing you'll probably do all day long when you pray, when you bring your request before the creator of the universe. For God can surely do more in five seconds of prayer than you can in five hours on your own. but I think that's sometimes maybe the battle that we have. I don't know if you call that pride. Could be. Are you like Amos? Are you? Don't underestimate the effectiveness of prayer. I mean, I... I don't want to preach a sermon uh, from Jesus' brother James. He has a lot to say on, on the, the effectiveness of a, a righteous man praying. Powerful. Are you like him? If not, you should want to be. You should strive to be. Second vision, verse 4. Second vision is this. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. So things just kind of keep snowballing here. Um, Second vision is a fire causing massive amounts of destruction. The fire here is probably symbolic, um, a symbol of a severe drought that is about to occur. 
And it's so intense, this, this drought. It's so intense that it devours the great deep. A reference here to underground wells and springs. The drought is so severe that even the water that travels underground, subterranean, even it dries up. Not good. And Amos, Amos does what Amos does. And again, he gets on his knees and he prays and he says in verse 5, then I said, Oh Lord God, please cease. Please don't do this. Please God, please cease. How can Jacob, how can Israel stand? He is so small. If you don't relent from this, we're not going to make it. Who can stand before you, God? He is so small. We are helpless before you, the creator of the universe. God, don't do this. Please, please don't do this. Please cease. Feel the, the fervency of, I imagine Amos right now as he sees this vision. We take, but granted, and uh, maybe I can get by with food, but the amount of water that I drink, I mean, this is, I don't need to teach you guys anything. You've, you know how important this is, how important water is. It takes a little imagination here because I think we take it so often for granted. Imagine if you didn't have this. I'm getting thirsty already right now thinking about it. People are going to die. Okay, that's, that's it. Like people are going to die. And Amos sees this and Amos begs and pleads on behalf of the people that God would relent, that he would not carry through on this judgment. Verse 6, the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Whew, he's two for two. That's not bad. But you see each time the basis of his plea, they are so small. And yet, as I've stated, numerically, they're not. But before God, really, who could stand? Who could stand? That's... It's the Psalms 130, verse, verse 3, verse 4. Answer no one. And yet here's a people who's so prideful, who have grown so complacent in their faith, they feel secure, they shouldn't, they feel like they are totally fine. They've got it going on, they've got it taken care of. And we have to be careful in thinking this way. And it just happens naturally. And I've been saying this for the last two weeks. Okay? Nothing wrong with being patriotic. But I think the right response should be, if it were not for your continual providence and grace, we would be like any other nation. Be careful, right, with this. I think it's possible sometimes in some, in some sense to, to be so patriotic to the fact that it's, it's prideful. That it's actually prideful and it's arrogance. 
We have to be careful in thinking that we're the best, whether it's corporately or individually, in thinking that we're the best, that somehow we're all sufficient or that we're all powerful because at the end of the day, there is only one who is all sufficient. There's only one who's all powerful and he was nailed to a cross at the end of the day. It was him who lived the life we couldn't live, who died the death we should have died, who paid the price we could not afford to pay. So, so, so this pride, this arrogance, yeah, there's no room for it in the Christian life. Unless you say with Paul, if I boast, I boast in Christ. So, third vision. Verse 7, this is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line. With a plumb line in his hand. Now, I didn't know what a plumb line was. Um, but apparently it's kind of like a level. But specifically, it's, it's a line that has a weighted into it. And you could stand over the side of a wall. And you could see uh, if the wall was straight or if it was sloppy. If it was waving in and out or, or whatever. So just to clarify what, what we're actually hearing and seeing. Verse 8, and the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. So there's the picture. Here's Amos. Okay. And here's God. And God says, Amos, what do you see? And he's like, um, a wall and a plumb line. That's right, Amos. And then he says, all right, Amos, I'm introducing a new policy right now. Making a change in how things have been going. And my policy is, the new policy that he announces is an end of his grace. And I don't mean in a salvation sort of way, but an end of his grace. He says, I'm not going to pass over them any longer, Amos. Or in other words, or probably better translated in NASB, I will spare them no longer. Right, so there's Amos, there's God, got the plumb line, got the wall. He says, I'm not going to spare my people any longer. Covenant language right here being used. I'm not going to spare my people any longer. And so, so in this imagery that's being used, and it's implied, it's not stated, but it's implied, we see Israel really as the wall, and in many ways, Amos as the plumb line, Amos as the one being used to measure the people through his sermons, how they respond. He says, I'm not going to spare them any longer. The, the picture here is this, and if you have kids or if you can remember young enough, you I think that the imagery here is, is really like this. It's, it's where your parents say, listen, I've asked you, I don't know how many times today to do this or get this done or not do this and you just continue and continue and continue to do this well let me just be really clear if it doesn't happen well then fill in the blank okay <laughs> whatever would happen for you okay but that's that's what he's saying right so there's this picture of this father who has been gracious and kind and spared them over and over and over and we see at least through the first two visions of them being spared and really, they've been spared for the last 40 plus years of this nonsense. And God says, okay, enough's enough. 
This period of me continually to show them grace and to withhold my discipline and judgment upon them, it ends right now. Right now. So he says this in verse 9. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam the king with the sword. The reference here to the high places and to the sanctuaries are places of worship. The the high places would be places of worship typically found out in a country type setting and the sanctuaries would be more formal structures more toward the city. And he says, I'm going to destroy them. I am going to make them desolate. And this might sound strange at first. Like, you're going to destroy these places of worship? That's what he's saying. Okay, so you're hearing it right. And to make sense of that statement, well, you have to understand the story. And this was very much brought out back in chapter 4, which was probably part 4 of the series where in chapter 4, Amos invites the people to come to these places of worship and sin. Some of you remember that. I mean, Amos is going to like, just saying crazy stuff right now. Imagine if, I mean, some of you invite people to come to LCC and imagine someone said, hey, love for you to come and while you're here, just just sin. And while you're here, if you want to you have sex with your girlfriend, you know, that's, that's, that's cool. Just if you want to come here and while you're here, just like look at porn or start gossiping about other people, just I'd just love to invite you to come. Like you'd be like, what? That's what Amos said back in chapter four. And yet for Amos, he's kind of like the original shock jock. Um, for Amos, he wasn't inviting them to do anything that they weren't already doing. That was the point that he was trying to make. So when God says here in verse nine, these places of worship, I'm going to level them. It makes a lot of sense if you've been following this story because these places of worship, they're not places of worship at all. They should be places where they come to worship the Lord. They should be places where God is honored, where righteousness and truth is found, and it's not. They've grown so complacent in their faith, they're just a joke. They're just a joke. Like many people who say, I'm a Christian. If I could tell you all the conversations I had this weekend, well, I would be violating confidentiality, but if I, you could hear them, people saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I, I'd ask them, why are you a Christian? Like, what does that mean? I say, I usually do. Like, oh, well, what's your understanding of the gospel? Deer in the headlight, I don't know. No idea. They've grown so complacent in their faith, and it's such pagan practices such heathen actions even in the places of worship they're a joke and God says I'm going to devastate these places of worship I'm going to crush them and I think at this point it's really interesting for a few reasons Amos doesn't pray to God on their behalf after the third vision he does after the first two he doesn't doesn't intercede for them after the third vision. 
I think it's interesting at that point. Doesn't pray for them. Doesn't intercede. What he does after the first two. I think the point that we see here is this. That it's possible to sin away the grace of God. And I don't mean that in a salvation sense. But I'll read you a Bible verse. And if, if I didn't tell you it was a Bible verse, one of those ones you, you might not even know was in the Bible. Jeremiah eleven fourteen says this. Do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them, because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their distress. Very similar to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where Peter says, Treat your wives honorably, for they are heirs to the grace of God, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I think the picture we see here, I think it's very significant Amos isn't praying. There's clearly implied, if not from the first Peter passage, then from the Jeremiah passage, he was more, much more of a contemporary than obviously Peter was, but this idea that this continuous sin, this continuous rebellion may result ultimately in God not listening to your prayers. Now, the question's gonna get asked. So before it even gets asked in small group, I'll just say it right now. Like, how do you differentiate when that is? when that point occurs. And I would tell you, I don't have an answer for that. But I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's the point here, or in Jeremiah, or in First Peter. I don't think that's the point at all to know when, okay, well, clearly there's a time when we should pray and when we shouldn't pray. That's not the point in trying to identify when it is. The point is in knowing that there may be a time in which through your own continuous rebellion and sin, that even if you cry out to God for help, He's not going to listen. So here's the picture, right? Get it, Israel. Get it, church. Here's the picture, right? I've got a wall here. And, and God comes to spot check the wall to see, is the wall straight? How is the wall looking, right? We're, we're doing an inspection. Man, that wall is not doing so well, right? It's, it is just kind of waving back and forth, and it's crumbling down. The wall is just in terrible condition. God says, Amos, new policy. New policy. I'm not going to spare them any longer. I think the, you know, implied here is, you, Amos, there's essentially no point to pray at this point. I'm not going to spare them any longer. I've been gracious and kind and patient, and there comes a point where I'm also just. And you tell them this. And for many of us, our wall, right? So here's the picture, right? The wall is Israel here. For many of us, our wall, perhaps when the Lord saved us, when we first started walking with Him, and we were so excited, and we were so passionate about following after Him, and our wall was straight and crisp and tight. It was a great wall. And, and then through maybe the last couple of weeks, or last couple of months, or last couple of years, well, we've just... Maybe we've grown prideful or arrogant and, and we, we really haven't wanted to recognize the condition of our wall. But it's not looking so hot. And God, perhaps you've, you've been the recipient of much grace. 
And despite your rebellion, despite your sin against God, he's been very gracious to you. I think the important thing is not to mistake his grace for any notion that you've gotten away with something. Or that somehow you've escaped punishment. And so in many ways here, we see Amos as himself the plumb line. It's implied from the text, but I think we see him as the plumb line. Where God sends Amos out to measure the people through the series of sermons and call them to repentance and call them and say, listen, the wall is not good. Things are not as they ought to be. And God is instituting this new policy where he's not going to spare you any longer. Amos cares a lot about these people. He said, get things right, right now before it's too late. Because this period of grace that you've experienced for how many decades, it's coming to an end now. Repent while you still can. As I said, the point for me in saying this is not for us to say, okay, well, where's that line between he's not going to listen to my prayer and then he is going to listen to my prayer. That's not the point. The point is is to know that such continuous rebellion may result, and even if you cry out to God for help, He doesn't listen. And that should scare, dare I say, the hell out of us. It should. So it's not a it's not a chipper picture he paints here in chapter seven. Not by any means. Not by a long shot. And so, I call you to self-evaluate yourselves. Are, are you like Amos? Are you? Do you truly believe that you have a big, magnificent, awesome, approachable, kind, merciful, glorious God? Do you? Do you intercede on, on the part of other saints? Or do you just see that as a distraction from productivity? Are you like him? Or I could ask the question and say, what is your wall looking like right now? Maybe for some of you, like I said, Jesus first saves you, you're walking with him, you're following hard after him, but maybe through discouragement, maybe situations have happened that have just angered you and you've been mad at God or pride has come into your life and honestly, your wall, while it may have been straight a year ago or two years ago, it is just awful. It's crumbling. It's waving. And Amos is saying, take care of the wall. Take care of the wall while you still can, while there's still time. What what does your wall look like? If you want the Lord to relent, short answer, repent. While you still can. While he's still listening. Scary thing to think. That through continual sin and rebellion, there may come a time in which, even if we cry out to him, he wouldn't listen to us. And Jeremiah says, no, don't pray for them. Because God's not even listening. 
at this point. Or as Peter says, you better treat your wives honorably. And if you fail to treat them as you ought to, continuously, God may not even listen to you. So get your crap together right now while you can. He loves you. He loves you. But his patience is no more, and he's not going to keep sparing you. Or as Paul would say, should I continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. No. I'm not going to keep abusing God's grace like these people did. Are you like Amos? Or what does your wall look like? Let's pray. God, we love you because you first loved us. That doesn't get old. <laughs> you love us. You love us. You love us. You're so kind. You're so good. You're so, just, to, just to know that you're approachable, that we can come before you and you, you hear our prayers. God, help us. Help us, Lord. For those of us, Lord, who struggle being like Amos, because honestly, we struggle seeing you as the approachable, magnificent, wonderful God that you are. Help us to see you and delight in you more and more. And Lord, for those of us who, man, our walls are just not as they ought to be. They're more like Israel's than they are like well, like they should be, maybe like they used to be. I pray that you'd help us to see that. I pray that you would grant us a heart of repentance while there's still time. You are good and you are kind. I pray that we would not abuse your grace. I love you, Lord. Help us, Jesus. Amen.